Hebrews 5, beginning at verse 11. About this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull, to, dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying, down, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and an eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away, to restore them again to repentance, since they, since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. For land that has drunk the rain that often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to be being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints, as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who, through faith and patience, inherit the promises. Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you, Sarah. That is Sarah Copeland, another one of our youth leaders, doing a great job with our young people. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks for reading this morning. By the way, if you'd like to participate in different parts of the service, as you noticed if you've been around here for a little while, we all the different parts of our service are led by our body. And that's another way in which we're expressing that this 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 church thing is not a performance. This is a family worshiping God together. So if you would like to participate, if you'd like to read, if you'd like to pray during the service, let us know. Uh, let Mark know. Let myself know. And we'd love to get you involved uh, in the service. So as we come to God's Word and prepare to come to the communion table this morning, let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, our passage is a warning about not hearing and taking in and feeding on your word. And uh, Lord, I pray that now as we come to your word, that you would open our hearts, that you would open our ears, that you would enable us to hear from you this morning, because that's what we most need, Lord. We need you. We need to see Jesus. We need to be encouraged. We need to be awakened. 
Uh, we need to be stirred up. Would you come and do that in our hearts this morning for your glory? In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So a question to get us started this morning, always a question for our young people here, got a lot on the front row here, but here's a question. Do you ever find it hard to be motivated about school? See how honest we are. I, uh, I know I've not seen nearly as many hands as I know is true. Yes. Hey, college students, you can put yours up too. Uh, yeah, uh-huh, yeah. So it's... You know, school's one of those things, it's like a lot of things in life, but it's easy to become complacent about school, right? To get lazy, to not be really into it, right? To just be going through the motions and not really engaging and applying yourself. Am I making sense here? Can you be with that? Um, you know, I remember whenever I was uh, a young person, I think this probably, I think I was about 7th or 8th grade. But I, I remember it very distinctly, but I, I had been in school up to that point. I was not, believe it or not, I was not very into school. I was, some people were like, oh yeah, that makes sense. I wasn't really into school. I goofed off. I wasn't there to learn. I really didn't have much interest in learning. I kind of saw it's not really cool to be really into school, and I really wanted to be, that rhymed. I really wanted to be cool, okay? So I wasn't into school, wasn't applying myself, I was goofing off, and it wasn't, I was, it wasn't because I couldn't do it. It was because I didn't want to do it. And I remember very distinctly, again, probably 7th or 8th grade, I remember uh, it was one of those days where they hand out the report cards, you know, and you get the report card, and you know, then you got to take that thing home and show it to your parents and get it signed. And uh, they're passing out the report cards, and I pull out my report card, and I open that thing up, and something about it hit me. I mean, it was rough. <laughs> it, it, was, it was not pretty, my grades, for the semester. But something in that moment, it hit me. I mean, just kind of a, a moment of reality, kind of an epiphany. And I realized in that moment, I've been totally blowing all of this off. And all of my goals, all that I wanted to do, because I, I wanted to go to college. I wanted, I wanted to go to Georgia. It was hard to get into Georgia. I, I, want, I had all of these dreams that I wanted to do in my life. And in that moment, I realized, oh my goodness, I'm not going to get there. What am I doing? I'm throwing everything away and I didn't even realize it. And that changed me. It woke me up. Some of us have experienced that in particular areas of our life. But the reality is for each one of us, it is so easy to become complacent with really, really important things in our life. Nowhere is this more true than the Christian life. It is so easy to begin the Christian life with great excitement, with great passion. I mean, those of us who have been believers for a long time, maybe you can look back to a season in your life where you were on fire, where the reality of grace and the gospel and of Jesus was just setting you on fire. And you wanted to talk to other people about your faith and you were excited to read God's word and spend time with his people. Maybe some of us can remember a time like that and maybe some of us today are in a place that that seems like a distant memory. 
Because it is so easy in the Christian life to just become complacent. To become spiritually lazy. Or as we talked about last week, to get to this place in the Christian life, to get to this place in our life where we're just kind of stagnant. We're like, okay, I'm good. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not struggling with those big things in my life that I used to struggle with. You know, I've kind of gotten through those things that are that are really disrupting my life and I'm kind of at this place where things are going okay and things are spiritually okay and I'm getting to church some and I'm, I'm, I'm maybe reading a little bit here and there and I'm just kind of good where I'm at. Can you relate to that? Just, I'm, I don't really want to grow. I'm not really interested in that. I'm not interested in how, the hardness of that and facing hard things. I'm just good where I'm at. I just kind of want to cruise in cruise control. Can you relate to that? If you can relate to that, our passage is so very helpful for us. Because you remember in the book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews is writing to an early group of uh, Jewish believers. They've come to Jesus and they're experiencing real hardship and they're actually beginning to drift away. They're actually beginning to say, is this really worth it? Hey, I just, I just kind of want to just kind of dial it down a little bit because to be all in for Jesus was very, very costly for them. And so the writer of Hebrews is writing to them and he's essentially saying, you know, the reality is there is no just staying where you are. There is no cruising. You are either growing or you are drifting. It's one or the other. So in our passage today, it's like a warning. Now I've warned you before, the writer of Hebrews, I'm convinced, is a good old Baptist. Right? He knows how to get up in your backyard. He knows, to, he knows how to tell you what you need to hear. He's reading our mail, and he just comes right at you with it. Okay? He doesn't beat around the bush like a Presbyterian. Okay? So you're just going to need to know that right off the bat. And this is an uncomfortable passage for me to preach. Because I, I kind of like to go in real soft. Many of you know that. That's why it's so good to preach expositionally through the Bible. That is, this passage, this passage. Because it forces me to say something I wouldn't normally say. So just let me say from the outset, this is uncomfortable for me because of how direct this is. But I'm convinced of something. We need this. We need the direct words of the writer of Hebrews because he loves us. And he doesn't want us to drift and grow cold and stagnate. He wants us to grow. So he's going to challenge us in that. So let's jump into our passage here. We're in uh, verse 11, right? We left off in verse 10 last week. Here we are, verse 11. We're picking it up. And we come in. And as we talked about last week, he's starting to move into this theme of Jesus as the fulfillment of the whole Old Testament sacrificial system. Jesus is the great high priest. Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice to end all sacrifices. He is himself the temple, the real thing. All of that, those themes are going to carry all the way until chapter 11 where he starts talking about what is faith. Okay, so it's a huge section on that. But what I want you to see is in our passage, he hits the pause button. In verse 11, he kind of stops that. And he kind of just says, listen, guys, I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated with you because you're not getting it. 
There's so much I want to tell you about Jesus. There's so much I want you to understand about who He is and what He's done. But you can't hear it. You don't want to hear it. And you're not growing. And He's calling us out. Let's look at what He says. Verse 11. We have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. Some of our translations say it's hard for you to understand because you don't want to understand. That's that's what your your pew Bibles say in the updated NIV. The actual Greek says you are dull of hearing. Which I like that. You know, dull in the sense of like lazy. You're not trying to listen. You're not trying to understand. And there's so much I want to teach you And you won't get it because, not because it's above your head. Not because it's too hard to understand. But because you're not trying to learn. It's kind of like, uh, you know, the teacher in Charlie Brown. Want, 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 want. That's what they're hearing. He's teaching them about Jesus and it's not sinking in. Now listen, every parent knows this reality, right? There is a difference between hearing and listening. You ever tried to explain something to your child? You know, you got this great teaching moment. You're trying to help them to understand something. And what you begin to notice is your child starts to suffer from MIGO. Do you know what MIGO is? It's a very real condition that affects children. Maybe adults too, I don't know. Jury's still out. But MIGO is my eyes glaze over. You know that, right? You're talking to your child and all of a sudden they just zone out. And there's, there, it's not like they're turning their head. They're still here, but they're, they're not here. They're not listening to it. That's Migo, right? They got Migo. But you see, the reality is you can hear something and not be listening to it. Because to listen is active. It's your part. It's receiving it. It's taking it in. You know, I'm always just... Brought down to earth every Sunday, okay, after the service, you know, after the sermon, and I get home, and we're all sitting around the dinner table, and the kids are there, and I say, you know, I throw the question out there, I say, kids, what'd you learn today? What, what, what jumped out about the passage today? What did you learn? And you know what I often get? Crickets. And they're like... And I'm like, oh no, oh no. No, just give me something. What did you remember? Something. And usually they'll say, um, you said something about school. You know, they go back to the initial introductory question, which tells me they're listening at that point and then quickly zoning out, right? But maybe that's true for many of us. Do you you experience that? You experience that maybe in a sermon or maybe in your own Bible reading or maybe in a, a, a Bible study that you're in. Maybe you, maybe you have a time where you're reading the Bible personally and you, you read your passage, you know, you're showing up, you're doing your reading and then you're going about your day and you put it away and you have no idea what you just read. You can't remember. You have that experience? You know, you, you come and you hear a sermon and you leave and you're like, I I have no idea what that was about. Now, sometimes that's just because the preaching is bad. But listen, if your heart is open and hungry and actively listening, 
You can hear from God even in a bad sermon. I promise. You see, it's a matter of the heart. And that's what He's calling them out for. It's probably what He's calling us out for. There's so much I want you to know about Jesus. I want you to grow. But you're not listening. You're not taking it in. You're not applying it to your life. Your heart's not ready to receive it. You know, if your heart is hungry, you will grow. You know, it's so interesting. I got a friend who wants to be rich. He so bad wants to be rich. You know what that dude does? He is constantly reading about investments. He's constantly reading about real estate. He's going to all these conferences all the time. I was talking to him the other day. He's trying to explain all this stuff to me, and I go, me go. I'm like, what? Why would you spend all your time doing this? But the reality is, because his heart's into that, he wants it. It's not an effort to learn, to soak it up. To be hungry for everything that he can get in order to grow in his knowledge in that area. So the, the, the writer of Hebrews is saying, there's so much I want you to get, but you are dull of hearing. You're not listening. You're not taking it in. You're not growing. He says this in verse 12. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. He says, you ought to be teaching this stuff by now. You, but, but the fact is, you're not retaining anything, so you have to be taught the same thing over and over and over. It's like that, I'm hearing and then I go away and I don't know what I heard. You're not retaining anything. You're, you're not growing in your knowledge of Christ. You ought to be teachers. Now that doesn't mean that all of us should be like, you know, I'm going to go be a preacher or I'm, I'm going to be a formal Bible teacher in some way, though that's probably true for some of us. That might be true of you. I don't know. But all of us ought to be growing and maturing to a degree that we can explain and understand the gospel enough to teach it to other people in various contexts. I mean, can you, you know, in... We have so many opportunities God brings in our life, but do you have the ability, maybe it's with coworkers, maybe it's with your children, maybe it's with friends, maybe you're out at dinner with some friends, do you have the ability to enter in and speak into someone's life with gospel truth? Do you have the ability to explain the gospel and why that is your hope? Do you have that ability? Many of us do not. You know, a couple... A couple years ago, we had, we had a guy that was uh, doing some work at our house, and I really liked this guy, and I, we were kind of having a conversation. I was getting to know him, and he said he was a Christian, and so I start to engage him in that conversation about what he believes, and I asked him a few questions. He goes, you know, honestly, let me just have you call my pastor. He'll tell you what I believe. I think a lot of us are like that. We don't even know what we believe. But call my pastor and he'll tell you what I believe. He'll vouch for me, right? That's so common in the Bible Belt. You see, the problem is here, he brings us into this metaphor. Is he's like, you're like infants. And you're never growing out of infancy. Second part of verse 12. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature. You're like babies. 
you're still on the milk. You're still on formula. Now we all know that if you see a child who's five years old and still nursing, something's not right. I've actually seen that before. It's very awkward. And you're like, something's not happening here. You know, got some problems. We're not growing up here, right? This kid ought to be on solid food. He ought to be able to feed himself. But he's just got to be fed. He's not growing. We know there's a problem when we see that. You see, he's saying to us, that's you. You're not maturing. He's saying that to them. I wonder if he's saying it to us. You, I want you to mature. Chapter 6, verse 1. Let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity. He's not saying leave those basics of the faith. He's saying build on them. Grow in them. Mature in your faith. Grow in your relationship with Christ. Verse 14. Second part. Who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. You know, when you, when you are growing in your knowledge of God and you're growing in your knowledge of the Word, you are able to be discerning about life. You're able to distinguish good from evil. You're able to go into life and make choices, whether it be your own personal choices or for your children, and you're able to know what's good and what's detrimental. It's very helpful in parenting. But that only comes through maturing in the Word of God. Otherwise, we're just going to go along with what everybody else is. We're just going to follow the world. You see, as we mature, we become discerning. As we mature, we're growing in Christ growing in our knowledge of who He is, growing in our relationship with Him. And that's what He is calling us to. Now, there's something else really important to see here in the passage. It's not just that He's giving us good, helpful suggestions. It's not just that He's saying, you know, it's not good to just always be a baby in the faith. You ought to grow up. He's actually warning us because the stakes are so high. There is a danger to spiritual stagnation. There is a danger to never growing beyond infancy in the Christian life. And the danger is that it might be discovered that you never were actually saved. There is a danger of falling away. Now this is one of the most sobering passages in the entire Bible. And he does not give this to us to make us fearful and to worry about our salvation he gives us this passage to wake us up and to help us to really examine our life look at what he says in verse 4 it is impossible that is a strong word it is impossible for those who have once been enlightened and just notice here now he's going to talk about people who are in the church people who are professing faith in Christ People who have had a spiritual experience in their life, but yet, at some point in their life, walk away from Christ. Reject Jesus altogether. This is called apostasy. And this was the danger for this community that the book is being written to. They are in danger of falling away. But it's not just in their world, it's for ours too. But it is amazing how he describes these people that fall away here. Because he describes them in terms that sounds like 
wow, that sounds like they look like a Christian. And they did. It is impossible for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, they've tasted it, they've experienced it, they've been near, they've been in the covenant community, they've heard the word of God preached, they've had a degree of knowledge that they have come to understand about who Jesus is. They have shared in the Holy Spirit. They have experienced the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And the power and the the goodness of the Word of God and the powers of the coming age. These people, to everyone around them, look as if they're saved. They're professing. They've walked an aisle. They've prayed a prayer. They've made a decision. Everything looks right. And yet... They walk away from Jesus at some point in their life. Now, here's his point. It is impossible, verse 6, if those people fall away to be brought back to repentance. That is scary. That is chilling. It is impossible for them to be brought back to repentance because to their loss, they are crucifying the Son of God all over again and subjecting Him to public disgrace. Then he goes on to use this metaphor of land that's just receiving everything that it needs. It's getting getting rainfall, it's getting nutrients, it's getting sunlight, and yet it does not produce a crop. It does not yield a harvest. And that's the metaphor for these people. They're getting all of the riches. They're getting the teaching of the Word. They're getting the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But yet... They walk away. They deny Christ. The most obvious example of this is Judas. You know the student, the, the, the example of Judas Iscariot? One of the twelve disciples. He was with Jesus. He heard of all of Jesus' sermons. He knew Jesus personally. He, he even ministered. You know, there's one point where all the disciples are sent out on this you know, kind of ministry campaign and they experience the Holy Spirit using them, using their gifts. And yet, what does Judas do? He rejects Christ. And he is unable to come to repentance after that. He hangs himself in despair. Not in repentance, but in despair. So this is a a very sobering thing. The, The writer of Hebrews wants to say the stakes are high. You cannot just cruise spiritually. Now let me ask a a couple critical questions here. Does this mean someone who is truly saved can fall away or be lost? And the answer is no. The, the, The teaching of Hebrews is absolutely clear on that. We are not saved because of our goodness, because of our works, because of anything in us. We are saved entirely because of the work of Jesus on our behalf. It's not something that we earn or live up to. Right? So works is not what saves us. Works, uh, fruit in our life, persevering faith to the end, is the evidence that we're a Christian. He's not talking about those who are Christians and fell away. He's talking about people who appear to be Christians and yet walk away. So it's very important to see that this idea of growing spiritually is incredibly important because we can be deceived. You know, this is incredibly important in the Bible Belt. Because in the Bible Belt, where everyone thinks they're a Christian, people have been given assurance of their faith that should not have assurance. 
You see, people believe because they made a decision in their life or they walked an aisle that they're okay. I've told the example before after we moved to Trenton, uh, and this is a friend of mine, but she, I, was, I was, had met this person, I was talking to him, and they said, hey, can you pray for my husband? And I said, sure. And she was like, oh, it's just, this is a nightmare. She said he's on meth, and he threatened my life not long ago with a gun. And I'm like, oh my goodness. I said, I'll pray for him that he would come to know Christ because she was a believer. She goes, oh, no, 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 he knows Jesus. Like he, he was saved when he was 13. He knows Jesus. You know, I'm just hoping this will improve. And I was just stunned. And the problem is not with her, it's when, with what she's been taught. That is false assurance of faith, of salvation. The clearest evidence of salvation is persevering faith to the end. That's what he explains in verse 12. Look at what he says in verse 12. I'm sorry, verse 11. We want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end in order to make your hope sure or enable to know the full assurance of your hope. You see, assurance is something that grows as we cling to Jesus. What he says in verse 9, even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are confident of better things in your case, things that accompany salvation. You see, he doesn't want us to be seized with fear, but he wants us to examine ourselves. It's what the Apostle Paul says, examine yourself to see that you're in the faith. Is your faith real? Was it temporary faith? Temporary faith does not save you, but enduring Faith to the end in Jesus, this is what saves us. That is what increases the assurance of our faith. So, in considering this, a lot of us want to say, wait a minute, am I doing enough here? I think that's a common question. Am I doing enough? You know, am, am I, am, do I need to work harder? Do I need to do more? And that's not what he's calling us to. Do you see in verse 12 what he calls us back to? Look again at verse 12. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what has been promised. See, he's calling us back to faith. A faith that endures to the end. You see, we are not saved because of what we do. We are not saved because... We are diligent. We are not saved because we're trying hard. We are not saved because we understand the right things. We are saved by resting in Christ alone. That is the point of Hebrews. Bringing us back to this resting and trusting in Jesus. See, that's how we grow. That's how our assurance grows. That's how we grow spiritually. It is by fixing our eyes on Jesus. It's what the writer of Hebrews is saying over and over and over in the entire book. What do we do here? Not try harder. Not get your act together. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Jesus says in John 15, He says, abide in me and I will abide in you. If you abide in me, that is live in me, vitally connected to me by faith, you're going to bear much fruit. You're going to grow. Life is going to flow out of you, not because you're mustering it up, because it's flowing from your connection to me. Fix your eyes on Jesus. That's what he calls us to. So let me just say this as we 
I want to move into a little application, then we'll come to the Lord's table. Maybe this morning, when you hear that, maybe you are feeling conviction right now. You're just hearing what he says, these strong words. And if, if you're feeling conviction, I just want you to know that is a good thing. Because if you are experiencing conviction, it means you're alive. It means that you're hearing. It means that God is pursuing you. And so I want to encourage you, respond to that. Maybe you're being convicted like, you know, I'm just kind of stagnant. I, I'm, not, I'm not pursuing Him. I'm not growing. I'm just kind of cruising spiritually. I'm not dialed in. I'm not hearing. I'm not listening. And I just want to encourage you, don't let this moment pass. You know, in the, the previous chapter, he keeps saying, today, today is the day of salvation. Recently, I was talking to a friend who's just had a real reawakening in his faith. And he said, you know, for all of my life, he had become a Christian earlier in life. And he said, for so long, I've been saying, not today, God. Not today. Have you ever been there? You're saying, not today. You know, God, I know I need to come back to you. I know I need to open this part of my life to you, but, but not today. But the writer of Hebrews says today. Today is the day of salvation. I want to encourage you. Do business with God right now. Just come to Him. Bring right where you are to Him. Maybe, maybe you want to recommit your life to Jesus. Maybe you want to open up your life in a fresh and deeper way to Jesus. But let, let me encourage you with this. You don't have to clean up to do that. You don't have to get your act together to do that. We, we're, we're bad about that. It's just kind of woven into us. We're like, oh, i got to change. i gotta, I got to get myself together before I come to Jesus. That is a terrible idea. you got to come to Jesus right where you are. And you see, we can do that because of His blood. Because He has died in our place. We don't have to earn our way into His graces. You can come right where you are because with Him all we need is nothing. So as we come to the table here, and you know, communion is always this opportunity to do this very thing. To examine your heart. To say, where am I? What, what do I need to confess to the Lord? Where do I need to repent in my life? Maybe, maybe it's that you need to really start getting into God's Word and you've been neglecting that. Maybe you need to get in community. Maybe you've been, you've been isolated. And we love to be isolated because we hate when people are up in our business, right? But that's God's gift to us. We cannot grow apart from community. Maybe that's what God's calling to you to now. But as we come to the table, it's an opportunity to really get honest before the Lord. In this prayer of confession... And this prayer of repentance, opening our heart to Him, examining where are we, and then as we come to the table, experiencing His grace. That's what communion is all about. It's about coming to and experiencing the grace of Jesus. And that's what I want to encourage you to do this morning. Just come right where you are and open your heart to Jesus. So we're going to move now into our prayer of confession. Again, I want to encourage you, don't just let this be like a, just a, a formula and just kind of a, a ritual that we go through. I want to encourage you, make this your real faith. Make this your real prayer before the Lord. Um, 
we're going to pray this prayer of confession together and I'm going to give you a few moments silently just to confess and offer up your, your sins and your confession to the Lord and then we'll come to the communion table to take of Jesus. So let's pray together. Merciful God, you pardon all who truly repent and turn to you. We humbly confess our sins and ask your mercy. We have not loved you with a pure heart, nor have we loved our neighbor as ourselves. We have not done justice, loved mercy, or walked humbly with you, our God. Have mercy on us, O God, in your loving kindness. In your great compassion, cleanse us from our sin. Create in us a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within us. Do not cast us from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from us. Restore to us the joy of your salvation and sustain us with your bountiful spirit. To the glory of your name and for the sake of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Now take a few moments to silently confess your sin to the Lord. Father, we do confess that the reality of our hearts is that we should have no hope to approach your throne of grace if it were up to us. We confess that we are in continual radical need of your grace, but we rejoice that you have rescued us through the blood of Jesus you have cleansed us you have made us right with yourself and Lord one day we will experience your nearness in all of its fullness so Lord we now release our sin to you and we come and rest ourselves in the finished work of Jesus in Christ's name we pray amen now hear this word of pardon for us who are looking to Christ for our salvation. But when this priest, meaning Jesus, this is from Hebrews, we'll study this in a few weeks, when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. Because by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. In Christ... We are now perfect forever. Stunning, stunning truth. Um, let me say this. If, if this passage and my attempt to explain it is unclear, I would love to talk about this. You know, if this raises questions about your own salvation, I'd love to talk about this. 
You might be like me. I'm one who is very tender-conscienced and for much of my life has really worried about my salvation. If that is you, let's talk about this. That is not the intention of the passage. But maybe for others of us, we read this and we're like, I might need to really take a look at my life. I'd love to have that conversation. But for those of us who are looking in faith to Christ and trusting what He has done, we invite you to come to this table. Um, If you are in a place where you're unsure of where you are with Christ, um, or you do not yet know Him and have not trusted in Him for salvation, Scripture is very clear. You shouldn't take communion. Instead, consider taking the real thing. And again, I'd love to talk about that afterwards. But if this morning... If you are looking to Christ and you're like, that's my only hope, but I'm trusting in Him. He invites you to come to this table of grace and experience His grace during this time.